You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay. It happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly, heart-stopping, mic-drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Pamela muller Caraman is the executive director of the Neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater. Just a few of their alumni includes Tony Randall, Mary Steenburgen, Robert Duvall, Jasmine Septus-Jones, Gregory Peck, Christopher Lloyd, Chris Loth, Dylan McDermott, Allison Janney, Joanne Woodward, and on and on and on. For more than two decades, Pamela has taught the Meisler Technique in New York, and she continues to nurture generations of actors. The school just reopened at their famed Red Doors for in-person classes in September. Welcome! Well, How thank you? you. Welcome. I was getting goosebumps listening to your intro <laughs> with our alumni. It's it's astonishing. It's astonishing when you hear it in a list like that. I'm so proud. It is astonishing. And it's astonishing that you've been the executive director since 2012, right? Yes. Wow. And, I know. Wow. And I incredible. think about, it's incredible what Gregory Peck said, actors who came out of the neighborhood playhouse changed a great deal about American acting. Can you talk about that? Oh, sure. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's true in the sense that I, I think at that time when Gregory Peck was there, uh, which was, you know, in the early days of it, I think he was, a, I think he graduated in the early 40s, um, mid 40s probably. But the whole, the whole idea of what is good acting, as we know, was, was changing. And, uh, and we had the, the group theater came in in the 30s and all of the great acting teachers that came out of that, one of whom, of course, was Sanford Meisner. And they were, such, they were on such a, a, a journey for truth, for truth in acting. Of course, they were descendant of Stanislavski, but more specific in the American quality is that uh, and, and I think it's still tr true today. You know, people have high expectations of authentic, truthful behavior in acting. There's no more presentational acting. There's no neck up acting. There's no heady, 
uh, vocal acting. Although you need a wonderful voice to be to support your instrument and be a good actor, everyone knows that we're talking about real truth. So what Gregory Peck meant, I think, and I'm sure you feel it, Gerald, sometimes you go to a film or a play and you feel like a fly on the wall. You feel embarrassed that you're watching what you're watching because it's so pure. It's so truthful. And yet it's not remotely a documentary. It's high, high art. So many of our, of our graduates and today as well, that's what they're doing. They're, they're seeking the ability to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Now that was Mr. Meisner's so-called definition. Uh, people have usurped it and use it. That's fine with me because everyone knows that it's true. <laughs> it, it's really about living truthfully. The only thing imaginary is the circumstances. The life of it is remarkably authentic. And so that's a difficult task. And I think he's yes. right, yeah. And it's beautiful that all these decades that legacy has continued. Absolutely. And you carried the tour. What would you like people to know about the Neighborhood Playhouse? The, the Neighborhood Playhouse, uh, you know, is, is often, uh, uh, the students who come out of there, myself included, a thousand years ago, say I'm it best. It. But yeah, uh, one student recently, uh, his name is actually Ian Duff. He's a wonderful, talented graduate. He graduated five years ago, possibly six, but I think five. Uh, and I once asked him, and, and he said, the neighborhood play, you have to experience the neighborhood playhouse to, to, it just is. And once you walk in there, you become a part of it. And I think what he meant by that is an enormous community, a commitment to, to training and high art, really. And uh, it is a very special place. There's lots of conservatories. They all are, are wonderful. We're training young actors. We want to continue to do that. But the playhouse has always had a really kind of solid community, homely feeling. You mentioned the red doors. They're, it's just, they're still there. They're new ones now because we have been renovating and they're gorgeous, but they're red and they, they you know, you walk through them and you're in, a, you're in that world where it's acceptable to work really hard on becoming an actor. And the rest of the world doesn't really always support that. You know, sometimes your parents or your friends or relatives say, what, what do you want to be? What are you going to be? Huh? How are you going to make a living? You walk in the door here and we, we celebrate that that's who you are and what you want to be. So I think it's a, what I want people to know is it's very serious. It's for very serious minded people. It's also very joyful because there's great joy and hard work. We all know that. I mean, you, you know it every day. And, uh, and that it is a community a warm community. We, you mentioned Gregory Peck you, you, and many other of our, our illustrious grads. You become part of that legacy and that family. And, uh, and you get to stand on the same stage where Diane Keaton did her first scene and you're going to do your first scene. So there's something pretty cool about that and, and it, yeah. welcoming, very welcoming. And I love the full circle-ness of it because you're an alum I know. From there. So can you talk about your lightning strikes moment? What, what oh, led yes. you to becoming an artist? You know, I thought I, when I knew the interview was coming up and I, and I love your title, I love it. And I love it in my position now as executive director, because it's so great for students and would be wannabe young seekers of, of acting to, to realize everyone who they admire and look at had a beginning, had a lightning strike, had a, had gave themselves permission to be this person who they are. And it may have been a hard hit or it may have been a soft hit, but it, it's lightning strikes was so great. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I, I want to say 
in my case, I think I was always as a youngster seeking and it was like water finding a crack in rock or something. I would find places through and say, and kind of go, oh, wait a minute. And I was really fortunate to grow up in a teeny tiny town in Long Island, a place called Remsenburg, which is a funny little burg. It's right near the Hamptons. And, but I would live there all year round. So in the wintertime, there are about 300 people there. In the summertime, there was a huge explosion of, you know, summer people. But many of the people who lived there, unbeknownst to me, were kind of creatives. And I, and P.G. Woodhouse, P.G. Woodhouse, the fabulous, you know, creator of Jeeves, he lived down the, he lived down the road. And I, I, and I, and he would walk his dogs. He's a great lover of dogs. And you probably know that he, um, he gave all the money to begin and, and to continue Bidewee, the Bidewee, you know, dog, um, uh, you know, rescue rescue yeah. shelters were all because of him and I love the term I'm getting off now but by do we I didn't know what that meant and I remember saying to my mother why is it called by do we and she knew nothing no reason but she would know and she wasn't English and she said oh it's a place where dogs stay and then I looked it up somehow and it and it is it's not it means stay a while and I just I just went oh my goodness so I would see him walking his dogs and knew he was cuckoo and creative and, and different than my parents and my family. And I was like, so, so attracted, certainly didn't talk to him or anything there. So there were, so I then got a job as when I got old enough, I got a job as a nanny for these summer people would come in and I was a great, I was a perfect young teenage nanny. And, um, I got a job with it with a family who were delightful. They had lovely little girls and I worked for them a lot, like, you know, five days a week. Well, they enjoyed the summer. And the, the grandmother of the family was a, a director of Italian speaking theater. The, fa- the grandfather who was deceased when I met them had been the librarian, um, I, I, or the, at least the, he was in charge of the music at Radio City Music Hall. He, he was in the, and I, I, these jobs just fascinated me. And I, again, I was a little crack into a world that I had no idea why I wanted to be in it, but I certainly did. I wanted to find out more of how, wow, there's another life out there where people create and do these interesting things. You know, you didn't have the internet. I didn't, I didn't have theater per se, uh, very little movies, but there, but, but I think what, what you started earlier when we were talking about instincts and impulses in the intro, yeah, I had that. I, I was seeking something. I was seeking self-expression, probably. So these lovely people introduced me to these this family. I, they brought me to the theater. Uh, they brought. I saw dance companies. I, I eventually, etc. But here's the fun. The the real. The sort of lightning. The storm was brewing, and the lightning was coming. <laughs> and it's come, and it keeps on coming. But, but uh, one of my friends' father, and they were again summer people, and I was not. I lived there all the time. His father was the uh, chairman of the board of Pepsi-Cola. Now, you might say, okay, what's that have to do with it? He, his name was Herb Barnett, a lovely guy. And one of the board members of Pepsi-Cola was Joan Crawford. Now, people don't realize this, but yes. Joan, yes. yes. Remember she was married Mom, to Mr. Hear, yeah. Yes, Mr. Steele was her <laughs> husband for a brief time. And he was a big mucky muck at Pepsi. And when he died, she joined the board. And she refused to get off the board is the story, but she's right the board. There's that scene in, in oh, I don't, yeah, yeah, that, no, in Mommy it. Dearest yeah. where she's at the conference, at the head yeah. of the conference table. Right, and, yeah. yeah. And so, so Herb <laughs> Barnett, who took a liking to me and he wanted me to, he wanted me to follow my dreams and, and he wanted me to find out more about being in the theater. He said, I'm going to set up a phone call with you and Joan. 
And I, was like, I was like, you know, 18 years old. I said, Joan Crawford. And he said, yes, I, I want her to talk to you. And I, so Joan, I'm laughing. It was very, it was endearing and wonderful. And it definitely was lightning strikes in the sense that I was speaking to an expert, maybe, you know, and again, I, at, I, I didn't, mommy dearest had not been out yet, but, yeah. um, but baby, you know, whatever happened to baby Jane had, I you know, she yes. was not a, to Whoa. me as a youngster at the time, I was like, wow, this is uh, a formidable gal. Um, yes. anyway, she yes. called me, her assistant called my mother answered the phone and said, oh, Joan Crawford's on the phone for you. And, um, she began to tell me how very difficult this is. Don't think this is glamorous. If you really want to be an actress, you need to work really hard. You need to understand you're going to get up at five in the morning. I mean, she was making a list like I was joining the army and I still found myself excited. I wasn't getting turned off at all. I was getting thrilled. And then she said, you have to go to the neighborhood playhouse. That's the only uh, place to go. And I'm going to call Sanford Meisner and make an appointment for you. And so Wow. Yeah, I, wow. I was fortuitous. Right place at the right time, yeah. right people, supportive people. So so that was a huge moment for me. And uh, my parents wanted me to go to college, of course, as all parents do. And I went for, for one semester and then begged out. I said, please, please, can I follow what Miss Crawford had in mind? <laughs> <laughs> and I went to meet Mr. Meisner. And then lightning really struck for me in that I had never met a bona fide artist and sat down in conversation. Um, he took a great interest in me in, in a way that I found astonishing. And I felt like we were speaking a language that even though I'd never studied it, I seemed to know it very well. And, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Suddenly I was with the right tribe uh, with P and I was very excited. So that was the, the, all the water seeking through the rocks and the lovely people I met and all set next, there I was in his office. And then to, to jump ahead a little bit, the, the wild thing is that, that when I graduated the Neighborhood Playhouse, I must have written him a note of thanks. I don't recall that, but I, but I must have. And because I, not long ago, maybe six or seven years ago, I found a letter from him that it was an answer to my letter. So obviously I'd thanked him and he was writing a note. And, and, um, and I was now, when I found this, the executive director of the neighborhood playhouse who would have, it was just crazy. So uh, yeah. And in the letter he said, uh, now comes the future. May it bring you a happy and fulfilling career. And I looked at that and I thought, I'm sitting in your office and, and the future has come and gone and come and gone. As you know, you live long enough. There's a lot of futures and they come and go. And uh, so something really, uh, you know, the lightning, that struck along the way. The neighborhood playhouse is, was really a serious home for me. And to be back again in this position is just right for me. I think, you know, just pretty, uh, I'm committed and passionate about everything that goes on there. And I, I, uh, I'm just thrilled that it's all that I'm there still and that we're opening after the pandemic, as you say, you know, so that's a long strike, but there, yeah. but this, there was the lightning of being an artist and finding that people do do this and how do you do it? And then uh, the lightning along the way until finally meeting, walking in those red doors myself and, and not knowing ever right. that I would be there again in my, at this age, but thank goodness. But what a beautiful confluence of events. Dare I yeah. say, uh, Ms. Ms. Crawford recommending you. Yeah. Sandy Meisler, and then him taking you on. I love all those pieces. 
Can you put into words, is it hard to articulate what it was when you were sitting in his office that made you think, this is my tribe? Was there something he said or did, or what was it about that experience, that first moment? Great question, great question. There was a depth to it that I didn't find in life. I'm not sure what your life was like as a youngster, but uh, there was a depth to the conversation about why I wanted to do, what did I think, what were my expectations? They weren't black and white answers. It was a conversation about the meaning of art in the world and, and, my, and how, I, how I saw myself. And, and I, I, I was not in, intimidated or inhibited. I found myself suddenly answering. The, the, you know, he was so... Um, he was serious. He was, he was debonair. He had a lovely sense of humor. And I think the fact that, uh, that we were talking about art as, and, and he was including me in it, you know, that, that was, that was, he, he wasn't, he, he, I think what he felt was if you're sitting here and you're seeking this, you are this, you know, why would you be here? Uh, and I, I suddenly that that struck me that I, I think I am, and I think he recognized it. Um, so that that moved me, and I left flying flying on air. But I, I mean, again, don't you think you, you actors are born? We know that, and then they're either nurtured or not. And many many people, it doesn't you know because I interview people as you do. I interview young people who want to come, and they all say this is the most comfortable I am. The facade isn't working. You know, I think in life we have a facade and we keep it up and we, oh, lovely day, nice hair, how are you? Nice. There's a kind of thing. And, and actors and artists, I think, want a deeper connection to, to, you know, what does it mean to be here and be human and answer these questions through art? And uh, I know I certainly had that and didn't know I did, but he, he struck a chord with me by asking me these questions and I will, wow, I think I know the answers. <laughs> what was that like for you going through the program? I had been uh, a loner and self-conscious. Uh, I hadn't, I, I came from a little bit of a dysfunctional family and I, I'm, I'm sh sure many artists and many people you interviewed do uh, there. And there was, uh, so my ima imagination was, you know, my best friend. And I, and that little teeny town again, that I refer to, I, I, uh, you know, got on my bike and there were in this, in the winter time, you know, you could ride down the middle of the street, you know, and be alone with your, and in my case, imagination, not really thoughts, imagination, let it run wild. Uh, and just stories and the people that I would meet and I would make up stories about them and so on. So when I got to the playhouse and people wanted that part of me, they wanted to nurture that part of me, my imagination and my creativity. It was like, again, I keep using this word and I mean it, sort of being home and being valued. So what I learned there about authenticity, and I, and I will say Meisner, as I said, was a bona fide artist. I, I really knew that. Uh, and he was one of the most first authentic people I met. He, you know, he really was who he was like that was, that felt good. Like meat and potatoes way. This is it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no need for a facade or, a, uh, and, um, so once when you, when I left there or when I studied there and got more and more free, you know, you become really free when you become unselfconscious, your artistic mm -hmm. self starts guiding you and your impulses and your instincts, you, you trust them and follow them as opposed to suppressing them and hiding them and, 
You know what I mean? Which I think yes. in, in my family had been the case. I mean, there, there was, again, not to emphasize, overemphasize this a long time ago, and they, everyone did the best they could, but it was a pretty wacky family. <laughs> and nobody was particularly interested in, in art uh, or in anything that would, anything expressive, really. You didn't express. A lot of secrets, you know, a lot of quiet, don't talk about it things. So here you could, and, and, and he, uh, you know, he and all the other teachers, I mean, Mary Steenburgen recently, she's a good friend of mine. She was in my, my era there. She was a class behind me. We're still great friends. And she said, you know, you could never go on this journey that we've all been on alone. It's the teachers and the community. And that was it. Yeah. That the, the, it was a profound experience for me. And I think it is for many, many people who come through the doors and it, and it's, and it was a very necessary one for me. I would have yeah. probably, yeah, I'm sure I would have, I don't know what I would have done. So I, I hate to sound so dramatic, but there's a truth mm -hmm. to it. In finding your true self and, and, yes. and admitting it, standing tall and saying, yes, I'm this. I, I, I think I'm an artist. That was a pretentious phrase where I came from. People, I, yeah, didn't want to yeah, hear it. People didn't want to hear it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How incredible that you you were able to step out of your comfort or from what you knew and say, I'm an artist. And you, you became a very prolific director as well. Yeah. And you are a very prolific director. How did that happen? How did you get into directing? I was, again, very fortunate in the people that I met and the things that I did. I had um, I had a relationship, a nice relationship with Michael Wilding, who happens to be Elizabeth Taylor's son, and his lovely yes. wife, Brooke, Brooke Palance. And we worked together a little bit. And they, they um, then we, we had a lot of great talks and meetings, and we decided to form a company here in New York when we were young. And it was called Acorn Productions. And we started to do plays, and I was still acting in them then, and we were hiring directors and producing, and um, really terrific, you know, hard work, you know, nose-to-the-grindstone artists, and, and they both were hungry for that as well. And during that time, um, I started thinking more seriously about directing. I, I Somebody said to me, you know, you're, I, got, I got fired once from a really crummy little off-off-off thing, and somebody said, yeah, because you talk too much and you're ahead of the game, you're ahead of the director. Maybe you should direct. And I was like, that's, a, I want to be an actress. And then I realized, no, I actually am a, am a director. And I want to jump back for a second before Acorn. I, um, when I first got out of school, uh, again, Mary Steenburgen, who was a dear friend, she and I started a comedy group and the comedy group was an improv comedy and I, you know, improv comedy right at the same time as, as uh, Saturday night live was being born, you know, 
And we would, we had a great time. We had three other graduates from the school and we started working and I was the director and, uh, and we all wrote things and we started working for the Bureau of Alcoholism, believe it or not. And we worked at halfway houses to entertain people at, you know, who were uh, trying to get sober. So the audiences were, you know, somewhat appreciative and some, it, it was wild. And, um, so that's when I really started taking the helm of directing. And with Acorn, when we started doing plays, did it more. And then another very fortunate thing is that a, a lovely woman uh, who named Leandra Pope in, in Westchester, who owned and bought a, an old schoolhouse, decided she saw one of our shows uh, of Acorn, and I forget exactly when, uh, and she said, I want to bring theater to my schoolhouse. I want to make a theater out of my schoolhouse. And lo and behold, we brought uh, a play up there. It was, uh, Brooke and Michael were in it. It was Bedroom Farce, actually. Bedroom Farce was the first play we did up there. And, um, and I was in it. I didn't direct it. I acted in it. But my relationship with her grew. And uh, I, have, I spent over 20 years creating uh, a wonderful equity theater with Leandra Pope as the producer owner. She was, she was more than that. She was like a benefactor really for me. She just loved and, and nurtured my directing talent. And uh, I made the, op the, the opposite commute for a long time, driving up from New York. And we created a wonderful, wonderful theater. The New York Times loved us and yeah. said terrific things. And uh, I just got to hone my skills. Yeah, that was the, the schoolhouse theater. Yeah, we were. yeah. And also the uh, cabaret, uh, the, the improv troupe, was that with the Manhattan Theater? Yes, we're back yeah. with Mary, with Mary yeah. Seenbergen, uh, where she was discovered, I mean, big time discovered. But uh, we, did a, we did lunchtime theater at St. Peter's Theater, at the St. Peter's Theater, which is still there on 54th Street. Then they had a little lunchtime thing. They loved us. They had us in there. People would bring a brown bag and watch improv. And again, you, this is early 70s when all that was starting to happen. So different. Uh -huh. And uh, they came, Manhattan Theater Club people came, Lynn Meadow. And uh, they said, do you want to come? We want you to be the resident cabaret company at the, and they were on 73rd Street in those days between 1st and 2nd in an old, uh, an old building where a Mason Union building it was way when they were first starting. So we were there on the weekend, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in their cabaret. So you'd go see. And in those, I mean, they did Crimes of the Heart was done there and then come over and see us. Uh, and, and, and we were great. We were funny and we were all like, you know, Im improvising and, and, and creating this wacky world. Yeah, I forgot about that. I didn't forget it. But there you go. <laughs> That was Crack Tokens, and that was uh, the beginning, again, of me. I really did. So then I pulled away from the performing once Crack Tokens, and then I just directed. And I, um, I've i just been so fortunate, and, and I, I love it. I really do love it, and I never think back about acting anymore. I think I died. This is making me nervous enough to even <laughs> talk with you. It's, I want to be back behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> What does directing give you? You said you love to talk. I mean, what, what, yeah. how does it fulfill you as an artist? Oh, so much. Yeah. You know, when you have, when you read a play and, that you have a feel for and it, and it just flows over you in that way that, I mean, actors do the same thing, but in a different way, because they're usually just reading their part. You know, uh, I, I love, I love interpreting the, what's written. And I love making, I love working hard to make sure I am. I, I really, my, you know, one of my 
great philosophies about directing is I'm not imposing myself. I'm exposing and creating this play. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to make it, you know, my, yes, of course my vision, but not at the expense of the artist who wrote this and who, and, and I love collaborating with that script, whether, you know, not, I may not meet the author per se, but the script, it, it feeds me. And then to, to guide the actors and help everybody be in the same play. Now, this may make, this may make sense to you, and I bet it does because you're a big theater lover. Sometimes you go to a play, and everyone's wonderful, but they're sort of in a, each one in a different play. There's yes. there's something happening. Or the other thing I often see, or they're all playing versions of the same part. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I really I really want I really love to help people strengthen their point of view and understand that they're you know that they're they are very different characters in this in this play and that this play is is not it's not their life or what they want to do or what they it's and yes you are working from your instincts but you're working off the author and you are bringing yourself to this because it was written to be acted if it wasn't we could all sit down and read it and have a discussion that's not the case so taking it off the page they often they they need guidance not so much you have to stay out of the way but some and then we all get to make this fantastic, when you hold a play in your hand like from Dramatist Play Service or Samuel French or whatever, and then you're looking at it, there comes a day quite quite quickly in rehearsal where you put it, you don't need that. It's, and then you watch the play you just created with these other wonderful people, lighting designer, costume designer, everyone. And like, it didn't exist a couple of weeks yeah. ago. It was a piece of paper. I find I it thrilling, thrilling. It's so Isn't that it, magical? Yes. yes. Matt, you see, we magical create a is world. a world yeah. where it, it wasn't. Yes. It wasn't. There was no one here last night. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was a ghost light. Yeah, and I love that you you uh, directed for um, 50 Lilies, 50 Lights. Yeah, yeah, I had a great time there a Beautiful. couple of times. A couple of times. I did a great play called Brownsville Bread, which was a one-woman show. Uh, and... Uh, Yes, that's a beautiful theater. That's a nice director's mm -hmm. theater. It's so well kept and clean and everything works and the dressing rooms are great. The actors are well cared for. Uh, and then I did the clearing there a number of years ago. Uh, for the first few years at the neighborhood playhouse, I was still running the schoolhouse. I felt I could do both and I was going to do it and I, it's okay. And I was all day at the school, getting the car and all evening at the theater. And eventually um, I did that for about two and a half years. And, and then it, the school took over for me. Uh, mainly because I really saw my mission. I, I, I did go home again and say, I don't, I will direct. Yes. And I did direct the clearing and I, I get offers sometimes, but my, my commitment to the school just grew and grew and my commitment to young artists and, uh, became more important to me than directing outside of there. So that just happened. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the 59 is 59th Street, wonderful, wonderful theater. Non-profit. Yeah. How did you get back to the neighborhood playhouse? Can you take me there when you went from Scholastic yeah. to yeah, to go into the neighborhood playhouse, coming back yeah. home? Yeah. Well, I see? used to as you know, I felt a, a, a an obligation to give back. So when I was running the schoolhouse theater in Westchester, which again, you know, it was a really lovely little equity house and people, you know, we were very fortunate because you could be home in 50 minutes. So we could get people to come on up there and do a play and be home for, you know, at, by 11 o'clock. So it, it was a, it was a fun job for them, for actors. And I was able to entice people to come on up. Um, 
but I would always call the playhouse and use, use, you know, if I needed a young actor, I'd want to audition them. I often helped people get their equity card by being a stage manager for me. Uh, I just knew that when I had been a student, I, I wish there'd been a little more help in that regard. And now as the executive director, I do a lot of it really, really help people get started in their career. I, and I, um, but I did that. And so they were, you know, they were always coming up and helping and, you know, at least a couple of times a year, I'd use a playhouse person. And then I, you know, and I gave back, I get, you know, I stayed in touch. I came to see the showcases at the end of the year. Uh, and then of course you lose, you know, you lose. And then um, I, I, Heather Randall, who we all know and love, uh, I'm sure, you know, Heather, Tony Randall's uh, widow uh, married to Tony Randall, one of our most illustrious grads. Um, she and I worked on a benefit for the school. I believe it was the, I want to say 75th birthday of the school. And it was at Tavern on the Green and on. So I was brought in the fold that way. And I so loved working with the board and with her and, uh, and helping to sell those tickets and celebrate the school. And that was my first real active come on back instead of just send a check once in a while or meet a student for, you know, or help a student. I said, boy, so I got very interested in that. And, and, uh, and Heather was very influential for bringing me on board. She's a great, she puts the right people in the right place often and it helps introduce a lot of people to other people and so on. So that started to happen. And, and I was invited to be on the board of directors, uh, which I felt was an honor and, and uh, really tried to be an active member. And, and then on it, it, it you know, it just, it, again, like the water seeking the crack, it, it just kept happening. And I said, wow, this, uh, wow, this is right. This feels right. This feels terrific. And, uh, and of course, I was getting older myself. I didn't want to go out of town and didn't want to, you know, to seek a directing career away from the schoolhouse would have meant also willing to go so I don't know, things all, all um, happened. And I, I, it wasn't something that um, I ever would have said to you 30 years ago, this is where I would be, because I thought you went there for a while, and then you left. I, I, I now understand how uh, life works sometimes. What you said, it's so great, the bring, bringing back around, and the giving back. I mean, I'm old enough, believe me, to understand, we all have to do that. And, and I love it. It feels so... Um, wonderful to mentor these these actors you know and, and on their way and and at the neighborhood playhouse now with i have done a lot to uh what i said before you know bringing people back to the career we have career development class we have we introduce we bring in a lot of people not only not only graduates many more people to talk about what it you know this business to talk about getting started in the old days that was really anathema you weren't you weren't allowed to it was kind of now it seems crazy, but they were so pure about the lab, the work. And I don't say that slightly. It was serious work, the art of it. But you weren't allowed to bring into the same room anything about an agent or a manager or an audition. That, that was, and, and, and you have to. You have to help these young people. And you have to help them get a foot in the door and understand it and be the president of their own company because that's who they are, you know. That it's like... Yeah, the, the, run their LLC and, and make it happen. So, yeah, I'm really good. I'm really uh, proud of that because it and it's helped the students. There's a lot of buzz about help, you know, that Sandy Faison, who you may know, Sandy Faison is a Broadway actress. She she created the role of Grace Farrell in Annie in the original. She's a wonderful, uh, wonderful actress who 
who and she teaches for me and and uh, but she ran the acting department at LaGuardia High School, the Fame High School, for many years, about fifteen years. And again, she decided at, in her fifties, I think, to uh, go back and she wasn't going to act anymore. She wanted to go to school as an educator. Anyway, long story, she ended up at LaGuardia, which was wonderful for them. And then I, you know, I kind of pulled her away and brought her back to the Playhouse a few years ago where she just does a great job because she's a fabulous liaison to the business. She is a wonderful, uh, she knows everyone and everyone, and everyone you mentioned her name to knows and loves her. And so there's a lot of, she's really opened the door and, and brings people over to talk to the students and brings her expertise uh, in musical theater and all, and all things, all things to do with acting and art. So it's a great, she's a great addition and ha has helped me a lot. And again, we were dear friends when we were 20 years old, uh, you know, and here we all are. It's wild. How, but in 2012, right, when you took over as uh -huh. artistic director, how did that happen? I mean, were you working at the neighborhood playhouse and then you were- No, I was, I was, I was, I was working hard at the schoolhouse still. And I was, yes, and I was being that. a director and I was doing a lot of cool things. Uh, I actually went to Ireland to do some research on a, on a play and a writer that we thought we'd bring over, and we didn't. And I was it was in a very thoughtful, interesting place. And then the, my predecessor, Harold Baldridge, was who was the executive director for a very long time, um, on the board. You know, it was clear that Harold. It was time for Harold to begin to think about retiring, and um, we on the board were seeking and looking gently, as was you know, as everyone was about what will happen next. And, um, you know, I'm not a big one on, on that it should all be an insider job. I mean, and I think that what we're going through now, so with, with all of this opening the doors and realizing we have so much work to do in terms of equity and, and diversity, and uh, it wasn't like they just pointed and clicked and stayed. It was that the Playhouse was in a particular position where someone coming on board to run it would have to really know it well at this point because we were... We were, you know, the, we were, uh, we were not, our reputation, it, ha it hadn't in any way soiled. It had just become quieter. People didn't really know we, whether we were there, we weren't there as much, you know, things had been a little bit, um, not as, not aggressive is not, not the right word. We just, they, there wasn't as much word on the street about the school, uh, as there needed to be. And competition had really flared up. There's a lot of schools, conservatories, a lot of people putting putting plaques on the window and being acting teachers. Academia had really taken over. Enormous number of colleges were, you know, in my day, that wasn't true. You know, it wasn't. You, you went to the neighborhood playhouse or Juilliard and that was it. And one was kind of high-end Shakespeare and one was meat and potatoes, New York acting. And the, you know, so they were very different and, and also both very good. So anyway, uh, we started examining, we, we talked to a, f a number of people that, and then it, it sort of just became um, I, that I would, I would run it transitionally, perhaps, that, that because I had s these skills and I had run a theater and I, and I was so passionate about the school, uh, it seemed right, a good match for Harold to be able to retire and me to um, do this transitional taking over. And, uh, and I was the first woman to run the school since 1964. Uh, I yeah, uh, there had been no female Meisner acting teachers, not, and I'm not proud of it, but it's worth saying there weren't. There were only men teaching the work. I've brought on uh, three women in my time here and trained. You know, so they. It was time for 
it was time for change, but it was also time for transition into the change. And I was the right person to drive that bus for a while. And it turned into, you know, eight and a half years now or nine years. And, uh, and I clearly was the, it was the right person at the right time. And again, there's that water seeking the, through the crack and here I am, you know, but I never would have thought even when, the, when, uh, when I was named the executive director, uh, I think we all thought it would be for a few years. It would be let, and then we'll, and, and there's nobody, there's no reason now. I mean, it's become my life's work in a big way. And we're doing this renovation, which I know you know a little bit about, just fantastic. You know, we're, re- we're making the building on, uh, be as, as be the, the right, the right home. And, and it should be in as good condition as the art that's going on with inside. It, it hadn't been that it really had needed some real long overdue repairs that hadn't happened before I came on board. And I, I, I knew we have to, we have to bring this building up to the deserving quality the artists inside, you know, do deserve. So that was another reason why it had to be someone who understood the history a little bit and how are we going to get from there to here? So yeah, right. You know, all, all sort of, again, this word magical, you and I, it's, yeah. it is, it's this who, you know, it's wonderful when you can say that your mm-hmm. life feels right. How did you meet Michael Wilding? Uh, how did that happen? Uh, he was a serious actor. We were in a class together. I forget which class we, I think it was like a monologue class Uh or something. Uh, and then, um, he studied more. My husband, Fred Caraman was an acting teacher. He was partners with Wynn Hanman at, um, at, they had a studio in Carnegie hall. Uh, and Wynn and I were partners after my husband died. Sadly, uh, Wynn, was a, um, a graduate of the Playhouse and a teacher at the Playhouse for many, many years was Mr. Meisner. So I think it was then when we first met that he was in, he was in class there in Carnegie Hall and, uh, and his lovely wife, Brooke, who's still a dear friend today. Uh, there, they live in Santa Fe, New Mexico or right outside of Santa Fe. They don't, they don't pursue, uh, acting anymore. Michael's a fantastic sculptor, believe it or not, really cool, big, exciting sculptor sculptures where he wears like goggles and uses a uses a tool and it, they're cool he's a, a very very lovely guy and I, I see them like once or twice a year when they come to new york unfortunately i've never been there they and i should go because they're but yeah yeah you meet a lot of people don't you gerald when you're here yes. and you're open-hearted and then you and then you go yes. and you and you people you've never thought you'd dine with or share yeah. a great bread with and the, and uh it's a I find that this again back to our word tribe it's yeah. uh it's remarkable you're having an open house right at the neighborhood playhouse right a, a reading for oh we're having reading. a reading this is yeah, a cool one to talk about yeah I do yeah because we um made it through the pandemic we did these enormous and necessary repairs and renovations of which there are many more to do you know this is sort of phase one of what has to happen at the school there's needs to be physical improvements and there needs to be money raised um but uh we took the time you know once i saw that the pandemic that we were going to be closed more than the two weeks we all thought we were going to be closed i started thinking about how to use the time best in regards to that that we're not going to be there we're not going to have classes they'll be online how, what should we do? And we started, I, you know, the, my very supportive board, unbelievable. They say yes a lot to, and they're just, I'm so thankful, agreed with me. And um, 
we decided to go ahead with the with these renovations. So they're they're complete now. We're open the doors. The students are back in person. They just were there last Monday. The thirteenth was the first day. All is going remarkably well. So I said we need to have a celebration of this. And what would be you know? And I started thinking about who we really are. It's a lot like your question with lightning strikes. This was kind of a lightning strikes thing too. Sanford Meisner directed Waiting for Lefty on Broadway in 1935. He co-directed it uh, with Clifford Odets, but he was, you know, the real arm of the direction. And that was the group theater, you know, they just, they became a force. And, and so I thought, okay. And I'm trying very hard to, to welcome more diverse people to the feast, to the table, both as teachers and as students and reaching out and having very serious conversations with people who are helping us in this and in, in facing our past, which, you know, is, was a man's club, uh, you know, for years, a men's club, a white men's club, let's face it, in a way that, um, that there are a lot of places were. Uh, so we've knocked down some walls. We have serious conversations and waiting for lefty directed by Meisner is open to very great diversity in the casting of it from our students and, and, uh, and our community. So I said, let's do this play. It's only a reading. We we can't produce it per se, because we're, we're not ready yet. The build, you know, we're just right back into the building. We can't ever. So we invited some really wonderful graduates, uh, Matt McCoy. He's a terrific actor, works all the time in Los Angeles. He's willing to come. He's reading a role. We're so thrilled. Younger people who've been on television lately and are coming, uh, coming up, uh, you know, just I said this is the play because it has 22 people in it I think mm-hmm. and and some of them are very small non-speaking union members and so on great chance for our our student actors who are recent graduates to jump on board so we're so happy we're having this event on Monday it's a little it's a it, come in have a little snack uh, all very very COVID you know protocols wear your mask etc um, so, the, the theater seats in, in about a hundred people. We're not going to have more than probably 45 in the audience. Um, and, and then read this wonderful play. That's only an hour and 10 minutes long mm-hmm. and toast us again at the end. And just a passage for all that we've all been through, you know, all of us, I mean, not just the playhouse, but I wanted, I said, we got to do and do it our way. I mean, to me, lefty was a, was perfect. We don't need to go find some new play. We don't need to, invent yeah. anything we just went back and i thought you know what mr meisner directed this wow you know let's let's bring that to the front and and do the kind of really back to what you and i said earlier that authentic wonderful serious acting you know yeah. uh yes it's a reading but believe me they're going to blow the roof off the place i'm sure of it in the excitement yeah. and the play is all, it's such an apropos play because it's all about change yeah and it's all yeah. about injustice and, and injustice yeah and a lot of you know a lot of wages and strikes striking for for better wages right. and one can't help but think about amazon and, and you know yes. should they unionize and all that those things are always there but you now we're we're not going to just keep on taking them for granted and say oh yeah, yeah that's the way it is no it isn't it shouldn't be i'm not po- over i really am not a hugely political person i i certainly right. know, yeah. know but and i don't want to use the school for that platform but the high the art that's involved in, you know, and, and the voices that we can be heard. Yeah. It's, it's meaningful. It's back to that word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about humanity and yeah. stepping into yourself. Yeah. I, mean, I, 
you know, if I may say that, about yeah. taking a risk in your life. Great like phrase. Great. Yeah. Taking yeah. a risk. Exactly. And, and uh, I don't think I took enough, truthfully, as an old salty dog now, I sometimes look back and think, I didn't take enough risks. Uh, I'm not, I'm not criticizing myself, but sometimes you were, you know, I wasn't bold enough, but the older you get, be bold. This is a bold move on the playhouse to put the money into the renovation at a time when w nobody even knows, you know, yes, some Broadway shows are opening, please God, keep it going. But, you know, we're still all in the midst of this. And I say to the future, to the future, I'm not Pollyanna, you know, about yeah. it, but there will always be room for artists and actors. There will always be a need for people to tell stories and, and to help us all understand all this. And in fact, I tell the young students all the time, I mean, this is, can you imagine the, what they've lived through? You know, these yeah. people who are, yeah, they're going to, they're going to have stories to tell, you know, we've lived through it, yes. but they're, they're right on the cusp of their lives and they're told to stay home for 18 months and sit in a room and be online. And so all these things are going to story, great stories are going to be told about it. So we're starting yeah. up and I think the celebration on the 20th of the waiting for lefty will be such a great shot in the arm. And it's a huge, not to forget what it also mainly is, is a huge thank you to the people who made it possible. They, they, they did say yes to me and they did uh, raise money and, um, you know, it's just, it's just a, a, another gift, another gift. I want to celebrate uh, them. It's beautiful. I just want to go back with, uh, people might not realize that the Neighborhood Playhouse is really a conservatory. You can't just take one class or two classes, right? No. Can you talk about that? Just like, sure. Um, yeah. You know, they, um, it's, you know, I, I think with anything, there are a lot of people who, who do sometimes want to dabble or wonder or they're, they're attracted to the idea of acting or they have a cousin and they think it's fun. And, I, and I'm all for that, that you can go take a class here and there and get your feet wet and, and enjoy it. But we all know if you really want to do this with your life, if you want to commit to the world of art and be an actor professionally, um, like anything else, you know, you need, you need a foundation. You need to know how to work. You need to be willing to work hard on your instrument. And again, your instrument is you, you know, uh, and, and it's like a piano not tuned up. You have to be enormously tuned up and you have to work hard to get, get into the best shape as an artist you can get. And I think that, you know, Mr. Meisner used to say it takes 20 years to make an actor. And, and, uh, and what he meant by that was, you know, you can be here for two and then you have to go work for 18 more before, and one day you're going to have a light bulb or lightning strikes moment. And when you realize, oh, this is what he was talking about, but you have to work and so on. And, uh, so we try to accomplish a lot in the two years and I can't imagine doing it in less, but there is a difference between, um, you know, enjoying it and wanting to do things like community theater or working in your local theater club or and saying, I want to do this with my life. I want the profession. I want to dig deep and I want to bring myself to the work. And that has, you have to then. A conservatory uh, is very different than a class here or there. And I would, the task of putting the classes together and choosing, picking and choosing what you might take, that's very difficult. And then, and then you're not with like-minded people. And you're, another great thing mm -hmm. about going to a conservatory is you're in your, you're in your, ensemble you know you're actually creating a world of that will become your network 
you know, um, of people that you'll know and, and people that you will help come along and you will share and collaborate. And so there's a lot of reasons to throw yourself in and fully study. And uh, so beneficial if this is what you want to do, actually make a career of it. And it's really hard, everybody will say, to make money at this quote unquote, but it isn't hard to make a living. You know, and I don't think enough people remind the younger actors who want to do this. You can make a living. You won't have two cars in the garage and a swimming pool, perhaps. But you can put bread on the table for your family in this world. I mean, I spent a lot of time doing uh, looping work on films, for instance, when I first got out. Uh, and I would be the, the voice of, you know, the actor was now, uh, the star was now in a different job, but they needed one line or one word in the bar scene and all. I'm sure you know what looping is. And I thought, this is a great gig. <laughs> Put the headphones on and, and fill in. And, and I thought, wow, I'd rather do this than uh, be, a, be working in a dentist office. I'm doing my thing, maybe, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So there's a lot of um, reason to encourage people to stay with it and find a way through. I mean, you are, look at this. This is the coolest platform for young people to listen to and realize oh, it is. And your questions are, are so worthy, like for people to think about. Thank you. How do you see the school transforming in the next couple of years, five years, 10 years? What's your vision or fantasy yeah, my, my vision is that we can hold on tight doing what we've always done so well, that the that the acting and the art within the building stays as solid and pure as it is. And, and uh, even though the platforms in the world that we might be doing now more, you might be doing television, you might be doing, you know, film, commercials, web series, these these ways that the product might get to the audience have changed, but the training has not. Do you know what I mean? You still really need to be a fantastic rooted and and uh, facile actor in order to do anything that you um, get hired to do out there and and at a place at, at our school at the neighborhood playhouse you you will be able to bring yourself to any text anyone gives you even if it's playing on the moon and and satellite you know what I mean the work yes. is still the work and and not to forget that uh, so that I want to preserve and, and protect. I want to invite more people and work very hard to to open the doors wider and to have a more diverse uh, population and, and hear more voices so that, I mean, the Meisner technique remains the Meisner technique, which is extraordinary, but as it's interpreted by different people, men, women, uh, fluid, gender, people uh, of all colors, people of all nations, they bring themselves to it. And so it doesn't change, literally change, but, but of course the interpretation will, and we'll all be better for it. So I want that to happen. I want to see, I want to welcome and, and seek out, uh, help people come here financially. I want to have, I really want to build a base of more support so that more people can come uh, and may not have the means to come. Also may not have the meeting, you know, we have a junior school on Saturdays and, you know, we're, we talk a lot about how to get, how are we going to get, just like you and I know, I mean, if, when I was young and, and I was able to, to know things and see, be told things or, you know, read Jeeves and see PG Woodhouse, that's not always available to everyone. You know, how do we help people, uh, young people find their creativity and find their voice? And I think the Playhouse should have and will have a stronger ability to do that. You know, even though we're the two-year conservatory, we do have, uh, I think, an obligation to help younger people as well 
get to the arts and find us, you know, and find places like us. I want very much for the building to continue to be improved and to be the little gem that it should be. I don't want to expand. I don't see us expanding enormously. I think the work is too unique and personal to get gigantic. We don't want to be a big university. We don't want to have buy another building. You know, we just want to sustain the work in this building. And uh, and I, I feel an obligation for the Playhouse to preserve the legacy. We'll also be ready, willing, and able to make necessary changes as the world changes, and be flexible and 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 realize what a what a magnificent past we've had, and we will have a better future. I know it. Well, Pamela, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Oh, it was an honor. I so enjoyed it. I feel like we really met one another. That was so much fun and interesting. Thank you so much, Gerald. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. And the talent was booked by Anna Stratton. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.